If you're wondering why we do this, this is just something we do as a reverence uh, to God and His Word. The text for for today comes from Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to be reading from verses 18 to uh, 23. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 23. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary uh, home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Lord, please speak to us this morning. We know that this is your word, inspired by you. Uh, Please do not allow that words come out of my mouth that will not give you glory and bring joy to you people and bring closer to you those that are far from you. We pray for all of this in the name of Jesus and the church says, you may be seated. So today we continue with this short Advent series that we have called Hidden Christmas, uh, which is a name that we borrowed from one of Tim Keller's books. that if you are interested in buying the book, you have, we have some copies available uh, in our bookstore. Uh, and part of the reason why we're doing this is, is uh, because we want to get into the real meaning of Christmas. I know that during this season, uh, we're doing a lot of things. There's a lot of celebrations, a lot of parties, a lot of food, a lot of food, a lot of food. Um, and, and we tend to forget the real meaning of Christmas. So what we're doing is grabbing some of these Uh, very famous and popular passages that talk about Christmas. And today we just read the passage that talks about Christmas, but this is interesting, from Joseph's perspective, which is something that we don't do as often. Usually when we think about Christmas, we think of Mary. Uh, But I love this passage because we get to see three things. We get to see Joseph's experience, Joseph's convictions, and Joseph's Savior. Those are my three points for today. Half an hour for each one of those, so we're going to be okay. All right? Joseph's experience, Joseph's convictions, and Joseph's Savior. Let's talk about his experience. Um, I don't know if you ever heard this before, but Joseph is known as Shy Joseph or Quiet Joseph. And part of the reason why some, this is theologians talking about him, the reason why they call him that way is because we never hear his voice. Like there, are, there is no record of him ever saying anything, which is really interesting. We have no idea what he says. We know what he does, but we have no idea what he said or he says. Um, and that's why there's a tendency to ignore him uh, for, or take him away from the Christmas story. 
But I want to uh, challenge you today, and I want to argue that it doesn't matter if you've never heard anything of what Joseph said. Because what matters is what he did. What matters is how he responded to his encounter with the Savior of the world. I think that Joseph is one of those examples in which we can actually use the phrase, actions speak louder than words. I think that he's a good example of that. And I would argue that Joseph is just as important in the Christmas story as Mary. Because Joseph, just as Mary, had a very similar encounter with Jesus. And both of them had a very similar uh, response to Jesus. So my intention here for the next uh, few minutes is to walk you through that experience and then see some of the implications of that. All right? So let's go back to Joseph and start in verse 18. Verse 18, 18 starts by saying that this is the birth of Jesus the Messiah, oh, the Messiah, right? And the word birth there is the same word that we use for the word Genesis, which means the beginning, the beginning of Christmas. In other words, if we truly want to understand what Christmas is all about, we must pay attention to Joseph. And what Matthew does here is he, is he gives us a little bit of context um, in, order for, in order for us to understand what Joseph went through. So the second part of verse 18, it says this, his mother Mary, uh, Jesus' mother Mary, was pledged to be married with Joseph or to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant. And right from the beginning, we could see Joseph's dilemma because he has been with this girl in a serious relationship with this girl, and the reason why I say girl is not just to be cool, but because she was a girl, maybe age 15, 16, a teenager, and they have had this serious relationship for years and years to the point that, that in the eyes of the community, they were married, even though they were not married just yet. And the reason why I say that is because the word pledged there in the text meant almost married. You see, back in, that day, back in those days, in that context, when a person was pledged to another person, they were already committed to one another. They already understood that they belonged to one another. They already understood that they were legally bound to one another. They already understood that they were exclusive to one another. And that's the reason why in verse 19, Joseph is called Mary's husband. Did you notice that? Not Mary's fiance, but Mary's Joseph, uh, husband. No, yeah, Mary's husband. In other words, they were married, but not married. I don't know if it makes sense. They're just waiting for one thing, according to the text. They're waiting for them to come together, if you know what I mean. That's a ceremony, right? They're waiting for the last ceremony. They're waiting for that time in which they would unite themselves physically, emotionally, spiritually, and even economically. you got to keep that in mind. This was a big thing. It's nothing uh, like the, the way we see marriage, or at least a lot of people see marriage today. See, everything for these kids is started when they were kids. Little, young in which both parents would come 
and make an agreement and make kind of a contract and say, your kid is going to marry my girl, your girl is going to marry my kid. And that was it. And as a popular culture or modern culture, we have a, such a hard time understanding or even accepting that. And part of the reason why we have such a hard time with the Christmas story is because we think, maybe not you guys, but your kids or your kids' kids, uh, we have this understanding of marriage that says that marriage is about two individuals that come together to make each other happy. I don't know if you ever watched the movie Jerry Maguire, a famous sentence when he says, you complete me. Oh, everyone goes crazy with that sentence. <laughs> because they think that marriage is about that. But that's just the explanation, the perfect explanation of the modern individualistic society that thinks that marriage is just about two individuals and nothing else. But in Joseph's context, the story is completely different. Because this is a community, it's a community-centered, traditional society. Meaning that when two people got married, they got married for their well-being, for the well-being of their family, and for the well-being of the community. In other words, marriage was much, much, much bigger than just the two individuals. Now pause there for a second. Because that's truly romantic. Like these people have known each other forever. They've been together forever. They have been waiting for this beautiful ceremony forever. But this is where the story gets complicated. Because Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant. His wife is pregnant. Now he's got an issue now, and I want you to think... Put yourself in Joseph's shoes or sandals because that's what they had. He's got a big issue now because verse 19 says that he was a man faithful to the law. In other words, Joseph knows what the law of God requires. And what the law of God requires is that he divorced this woman because she has been unfaithful. Now, interesting enough, the word Faithful there has a second meaning, which means which is the word righteous. In other words, Joseph was not only faithful to the law, but he was a righteous man, a good man, a man of good testimony, a man that is known for doing the right things at all times. And yet, he's got this problem. Because the woman he loves according to him, has been unfaithful. Now, the story is a little bit more complicated because we know from Scripture that Mary has a good testimony as well. She has been a good and faithful young woman, a woman full of grace. We know that she's never done anything like this before. Can you imagine what this poor young man is going through? you got to remember that at this point, he doesn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. All he knows is that he loves this girl, and the girl wasn't faithful. So I want you to imagine here for a second, uh, put yourself, think, think of you as Joseph. Because if you are Joseph, and your wife is pregnant, then you have one or three options. Number one, you can choose, if you're Joseph, you can choose to extend the grace. Maybe, just maybe, what he could do. 
is to say, well, I'm going to take you as you are, and I'm going to take that baby, and I'm going to protect Mary, and I'm going to protect the baby. The problem, though, is that because he knows the law of God, he's, a fa- he's faithful to the law of God. If he does that, then he automatically becomes a, lo- a liar. And he stops being faithful to the law of God in the name of grace because he will be compromising truth. Can you see the problem? Therefore, that's not an option. Extending grace, just grace, is not an option. The second option here is to be truthful and to do what the law requires, to divorce, divorce her publicly or at least semi-publicly. And everyone then will look at Mary and would say, shame on you, Mary. But he will protect his dignity. He's kind of saying, no woman is going to be unfaithful to me. He doesn't have to protect Mary and he doesn't have to protect the baby. He wants to be truthful. The problem, though, is that if he's only truthful, he's not grace-based either. Can you see the dilemma? Therefore, there's got, to, there's got to be a third option. An option in which grace and truth come together. And I find verse 19 one of my favorite verses in the Bible. With no exaggeration. Simply because I believe that verse 19 explains what a true man looks like. And what I would like to be when I grow up. Listen to verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Can you see it? He found a way to extend grace, to not uh, put it in public display, uh, shame, uh, public display, shame, right? But at the same time, he's faithful because he's going to divorce her. But he's going to divorce her quietly. Actually, the law allowed for you to get divorced to someone with just two witnesses in private. And I love that passage. Because he tells you that Joseph, even though he was hurt, even though he was wounded, even though he knew that this was shameful for him, even though he knows that his wife is, is unfaithful, he's willing to protect her. So if you're here... And you are a male, and even more, if you're married, that's our call. We protect our wives even when it's costly and painful. The story doesn't finish there because Matthew continues and he tells us that when Peter has decided to do this, the Holy Spirit or the angel intervenes. And in verse 20, he says that the angel appears to him. Uh, And he tells them that Mary was actually pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And we explain that later on. In other words, the angel is telling him that Mary was innocent, that she was never unfaithful. And in verse 21, the the angel tells him that this Jesus, this baby, uh, will save their people from their sins. And I will get back to that later on. And then he doesn't stop there because in verse 22, he says that this Jesus is the promised Messiah. He is the one fulfilling the, the promises of the Old Testament. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Now, we didn't read these two, the last two verses today, but if you keep on reading verses 24 and 25, 
you realize that after uh, Joseph has this encounter with the angel, he gets up, he looks for Mary, he marries her, and when the baby is born, he names him Jesus. In other words, something happened with Joseph that night that in one night, in a conversation with the angel, he believed everything the angel told him, and he did everything the angel told him. Even though he knew that being obedient would be hard, even though he knew that being obedient would be complicated, even though he knew that if he would be faithful to God, probably nobody else would believe him. This is so simple, people. And this is the kind of stuff that we forget when we read passages like this. When Joseph decides to take Mary as his wife, even though she's pregnant, he knows that people will notice. People know how to count. Well, you get married in January, but the baby is born in May. Mm. And yet, Joseph is willing to do it. The question is why? See, Joseph is part of a shame-based culture. In other words, if people know that he married this unfaithful woman, no one ever, ever in his culture would ever forget that. They would look at Joseph and say, shame on you, Joseph. They would look at Mary and say, shame on you, Mary. They would look at little Jesus and say, look at that kid. He's the product of unfaithfulness. And he did it anyway. The question is why? He knows that if he marries this woman, everyone will know or everyone would think that he was unfaithful. Let's say that he doesn't say that she was unfaithful. Let's say that he says that they just got married, that they had an intimacy and they had the baby. Everyone forever will know that, that they committed fornication. And yet, he's willing to absorb the shame. The question is, why? That's Joseph's experience. Why would Joseph do that? Why would Joseph be willing to go through all of that? Why would Joseph be willing to absorb the shame of all of that? Why would Joseph be willing to sacrifice his reputation? Why would Joseph be willing to be seen by others as an unfaithful man or as an idiot? Why would he go through all of that? Well, that leads me to my second point. Joseph's convictions. I think that that night, I think that the text shows us that that night, in that conversation Joseph, Joseph has with the angel, he believed three things, three core convictions that dictated everything that he did. Three of them. Number one, that the Lord, that God is Lord. Can you say God is Lord? Just to make sure that you're with me. This is super interesting because the angel comes, the angel of the Lord, that's, the, that's his name in the text. The angel of the Lord um, comes to him and he tells him the name that he's to give this baby. 
He tells them, you ought to name this baby Jesus. Now, we don't understand that in this culture. But in that culture, at that time, no one, and what I mean no one is, no one was allowed to tell you how you should name your kid. Not even your parents. I know that you all do that to your kids. But in that culture, that will not be allowed. Actually, in some cases, not even the woman, which is awful, but not even the mom could actually give the name to the baby. It was the father's right. It was the father's privilege to name the kid. But look at what Joseph did. He takes the name the angel gives him, and he gives it to Jesus. In other words, Joseph understood that God is not only God, but that God is Lord. That we don't take from God just the things we want to take. That we take from God everything, he says, because God is Lord. One of our struggles here in modern society is that we like the concept of God. We like the emotion of God. We like the experience of God. But when it comes to certain areas in your life, he is just God. Not Lord. And if there's one thing that demand, that Christianity demands, and I want you to hear, especially if you don't have a saving relationship with Jesus. If there's one thing that Christianity demands is that we see God as Lord. He rules over everything in your life. He rules over the things you do and the things you don't do. He rules about the things you say and you don't say. He rules about the things over the, your money and your uh, uh, fun and your job and your home and your family. He is Lord. I don't know if you ever heard of this, but Watchman Nee in 1963 and then uh, C.S. Lewis in 1940, they talked about this thing that is it's an argument that we have used forever, but it's a really good argument about how we, f we should view God, or at least Jesus. And this is what they said. There's this tendency to see Jesus as a good moral teacher or someone to be admired. But this is both of, both of their arguments. This is what they said. But Jesus was not only a good teacher and someone to be admired, but he claimed to be God. And if Jesus claimed to be God, either he was a liar or a lunatic. But if he's not a liar or a lunatic, then he's God. And if he's God, then he's Lord. See, it's so easy to celebrate Christmas without having Joseph's understanding. Joseph understood that to take God is to take him as Lord in everything you do and everything you have. And that's why he did what he did. See, you and I need exactly the same thing today. Part of the reason why we celebrate Christmas is so we remind ourselves that our God is God and our God is Lord. There's a second thing that Joseph learned here. And that that baby, God, Jesus, is both divine and personal or human. See, the angel tells Joseph in verse 21 that that baby would be conceived by the Holy, was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And I don't think Joseph understood everything altogether. But I do know that he understood enough to understand that if this baby was conceived by the creating power of the Holy Spirit, 
then he was both divine and human. Because he's inside of Mary's womb. And I don't know what you make of that, but that's exactly what makes Jesus and God so personal. Actually, the angel tells him that the reason why Jesus is coming is to be Emmanuel, God, with us. Joseph somehow knows, with his limited understanding, he knows that this baby is no ordinary baby. That this baby is completely God and completely human. That this God is both infinite and personal at the same time. Which is a crazy concept, crazy good concept to accept. That this God, this baby Jesus God, is both the almighty and the approachable God. This God, baby Jesus God, is God, but God with me. I don't know how much time you think you spend thinking about this. But every time we separate the two natures of Jesus is when we run into problems. Every time we separate the two natures, the, the two natures of Jesus is when we run into problems. If we make the mistake of elevating his divinity over his humanity, we can only think of God as someone that is distant, far away, and disconnected from our reality. Because he's just there. But if we do the opposite, if we make the mistake of elevating his humanity over his divinity, then we make of him someone that is just a human being, a good teacher, a good role model, someone that we could probably admire and even respect, but someone that you don't have to obey or even worship because he's just a human being. The beauty of Christianity, people, and the beauty of Christmas is that we have this God that is both God and human being, both divine and personal. See, this is the way I see it all the time. Jesus is divine because he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. But he's so and so personal that he's my brother and my friend. Don't you find that amazing? Jesus is both the mighty God and also my so and so personal that he's my wonderful counselor. The word wonderful there, it means someone that is with you at all times. See, Jesus, the beauty of Emmanuel is that he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, but he's so and so personal that he's my everlasting father and my prince of peace. See, the beauty of Jesus is that he's the ultimate king, but he's also so and so personal that he's my prophet. You know what that means? That he tells me what I need to hear, when I need to hear it, how I need to hear it. He's both divine and personal. I have a God, you have a God, that is the almighty and powerful God, but he's also so and so personal that he's your shepherd. He leads you and he guides you. That's the beauty of the incarnation, that we have an eternal, transcendent God that is so and so personal that he's your bridegroom. He's your lover. He's intoxicated with you. That's the beauty of the incarnation, that we have a God that is fully God, completely God, and so personal that is God with me. See, that's what Joseph understood. And that's the only possible explanation we have on why he was willing to do the things he did. 
Because he knew that even though things could get really complicated and painful, it was God with him. Both divine and personal. That's exactly what we need today, people. That's the beauty of Christmas. That we have a God that is divine and personal at the same time. And lastly, Joseph understands one more thing. That he was deeply broken and yet deeply loved. See, when the angel tells him that the baby's name is Jesus, and he gives him the definition of that name, that Jesus, that God saves from their sins, don't think that Joseph is thinking, oh, Jesus is good for everybody else. Joseph sees himself as part of the equation. The moment he accepted this command from the angel of the Lord, he is admitting that he is also a broken person. Even though he was faithful to the law and even though he was a righteous man, he knows and understands that he is a broken person. And I would argue that the only way that we get to, the only way we get to embrace the grace of God is when you first embrace how sinful you are. Listen, there is no proper definition of grace unless you have a proper definition of the holiness of God and your sinfulness. These two concepts always go together. You cannot embrace the grace of God unless you understand who you, tru you truly are. So let me give you an illustration of how dangerous this thing is and how beautiful this thing is. Yesterday, because um, I, I got to look beautiful, I go, I go to get a haircut yesterday, right? Uh, I was coming over here, and when I come over here, I got to look my best, all right? When I go over there, I don't really care. But here, <laughs> so I go to get a haircut, and, and the lady that gives me the haircut, I go to the same lady to the same place forever. It's part of my missional thing, right? Um, and as I'm getting the haircut, she tells me about these uh, interesting, peculiar person that just came in the morning to get a haircut. And he happened to be a Russian rapper that, that came in with all the chains and all that stuff. And he wants to rap in Russian, but nobody understands there. Uh, so, so she says, she says this, here we get all kinds of crazy people. <laughs> now, she knows that I'm a pastor. And she says, I bet you guys get all kinds of crazy people at church as well. Guess what I said? Yes, we do. <laughs> but here, but here. But then she says something that I wish we would all understand at all times. Because she says this, of course you guys get crazy people. Because only crazy people need a savior. Ain't that profound? She's doing my haircut, man. <laughs> and I say, you're right. You know what her problem is, though? That she doesn't count herself as one of the crazy ones. Therefore, she doesn't need the grace of God. But when we understand that we are so broken, so sinful, so needy, is that Jesus makes sense. 
And I believe that we have to celebrate Christmas because we must remember that God in Jesus is Emmanuel. Listen to this, because he's God with us and at the same time, God for us. See, the word Emmanuel has those two meanings implied. It is God with us and God for us. If not, why did he come? So listen to Keller's quote. The, the Christian gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me. Yet I am so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. See, that's why Joseph came to believe, and that's why he did the crazy good things he did. He knew this. He understood this. He knew that God is God and Lord. He understood and believed that this God in Jesus is both divine and human, both divine and personal. He knew, he understood, he believed that God, that he was deeply broken and yet at the same time deeply loved. And that's why he did what he did. But before I finish, let me ask you something though. If Joseph did what he did with his limited understanding, can you imagine what we could do since we have the whole picture? This is the thing. Joseph did not know how Jesus was going to save him. Which that in itself I find amazing. This is truly a man of faith. He didn't know about the cross. He didn't know that Jesus would live a perfect life. He did not know that Jesus would go to the cross to take his place. He didn't know any of that. And yet he responded in faith. So if Joseph did that with the limited understanding he had, can you imagine what the church today could do when we have the whole, if we have the whole picture? So this is my third point. Let me tell you what we know that Joseph didn't know. The full picture of Joseph's Savior. See, Joseph did not know, but we know that we, all of us here, deserve the public disgrace because we have been unfaithful. You have been unfaithful. I have been unfaithful. We have gone after other gods. We have created things and then worshipped those things. We have walked away from our faithful husband. That he didn't know that, but we do. But we also know that Jesus Christ, instead of shaming us, he publicly shamed himself, crucified in a cross, naked and humiliated, nailed to a cross. Why? So he can take our disgrace and give us his love. He takes our shame so we get his acceptance. Joseph didn't know that, but we know that. Joseph didn't know something that we know. That you and I have never submitted fully to the will of God. We have not obeyed God completely. There are areas in our life in which God is not Lord. We know that and he didn't know that. But this is what we know. That the same Jesus will be the one that will live the life that no one has lived. 
that even when times were costly and painful, he submitted to the Lord. When th- when, even when things was required, he never backed down. That he was he submitted to the Lord's will, even when he's nailed to the cross, right before he gets to the cross, and he says, may your will be done and not mine. He didn't know that, but we know that. See, Joseph didn't know, but we know that we needed, just, we needed not just a divine God, but a human God. He didn't know that we needed someone that could represent us before the Father. We needed someone that would understand us. We needed someone that would feel the same things we feel. We needed someone that would take everything we have taken. We needed a Savior that would experience everything we have experienced. Joseph didn't know that, but we know that. And we know what it cost them. This is the thing. In order for us to have God with us and God for us, Jesus first had to get God against him and not for him. And that's why at the cross he says, why have you forsaken me? See, we we don't understand the Christmas story unless we understand Joseph. We don't get to celebrate Christmas unless we celebrate what Joseph believed. Isn't that an amazing experience? If Joseph was willing to do what he did with the limited knowledge he had, imagine what we could do because we have the whole picture. How about if we celebrate Christmas the way we're supposed to? How about if we believe and repent? How about if we let the Emmanuel, Jesus, the one that saves us, become real to us once again? Amen? How about if you stand... But if we just pray together, we ask the Lord to be with us and to be for us, and then we receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us. Beautiful Savior, we, we know that we don't deserve to be here. We know, Lord, that it is, it, it is impossible for a holy God to hang around with sinful people like us. But that's precisely the reason why God becomes a human being in Jesus Christ. To unite what nobody else can. To bring together what nobody else can. To allow us to have an experience God with us and God for us. And I pray, Lord, as as we celebrate this season of Christmas, that we may never, ever forget that. That we have a God that is Lord that we have a God that is for us, that we have a God that, is, that loves us deeply even though we're deeply broken, that we have a God that is both divine and human, that we have a God that was willing to do everything, everything, everything for us. And we thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, that as we, um, as we continue our day and celebrate Christmas tomorrow uh, or Christmas Eve tomorrow, and as we have all of our services, Lord, may the gospel of Jesus Christ, may, may, be, may he be at the center of everything. And with that, Lord, we want to receive the blessing that Jesus Christ, Christ guarantees for us at the cross. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And the church says, have a blessed day. Thanks for coming. If you need prayer, please come to the front. We have the prayer team here in the front.